Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. You're about to make the jump from the dishonest mainstream media into free and independent thought from key thought leaders on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Welcome to this episode of Indie Thinker. Today we have a very special episode for you. It's something we call Indie Thinker Roundtable. Roundtables are where we gather together with three other people to discuss an important topic. And today we're discussing Afghanistan because it is perhaps going to be one of the most consequential foreign policy issues of our lifetime. So the goal on the podcast today is just to invite you into the coffee shop as four people talk. What we want to do is just mimic the conversations that you would have with your friends on these issues. So just to be clear, no, we are not authoritative foreign policy experts. But so very often, we allow those labels of authoritative and impartial expert to allow us to disengage from the personal responsibility that we have in approaching all information, which we should approach the same way. And that is primarily to not do so blindly. We should never merely accept information because it supposedly comes from an authoritative source. Rather, we should, no matter what we listen to and no matter what ideas are presented, see if these pass the litmus test of reason and common sense. And so I'm proud to share this with you because I think our conversation does just that. We will agree on some issues, we will disagree on some issues, and in the end, we'll help you think for yourself by offering you some different perspectives. Most importantly, at the end of this episode, I'll actually give you a practical opportunity to help the people of Afghanistan in the wake of this ill-advised and completely avoidable humanitarian tragedy. So you want to make sure to stick around to the end for that because we've got a great organization that we're teaming up with. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoy. Well, guys, welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman. I'm your host, Reed Uberman, and we have a very, very special episode of Indie Thinker for you today. Today, we have a what we're calling an Indie Thinker roundtable. I've got some great men gathered around the table. Before I introduce them to you, I just want to kind of set a preface for why we're gathered here together and really kind of the preface for Indie Thinker. I believe that there's value in conversation, and here's why. Because Beyond just being mere speech, I believe if we engage different perspectives, it help us. It, it helps us think. Uh, so I think as much as possible, uh, we need to engage ideas. And we're going to be talking about Afghanistan today, which is just absolutely present in everyone's minds right now. So I'm glad to be able to do this with a group of people who uh, very much are ideologically aligned. But the reality is too is that sometimes the greatest disagreements happen close to home. So I'm interested to see what the conversation will yield today um, and just show that there can be disagreement among friends and people who are close to each other, uh, but also uh, mutual healthy conversation uh, among people about a very uh, charged and very important topic. So uh, I would just say this for those of you who are watching at home, uh, we may be a little information and heavy, heavy at times, but there, there is definitely some redemptive purpose to this, especially as we get toward the end of our conversation today. Um, and we talk about the why behind this conversation. I think there'll be some, some great nuggets that people will be able to take away from this, but I would just say this, uh, the most healthy response to our conversation today, I think is not rushing to the comment section to try to prove how smart you are to everybody, but actually taking what we say here today, thinking about that, and then thinking about what you think personally. Um, and so that's that's our goal here today. So I've got some great people gathered around me today to have this conversation. So I'm going to start um, on my right and work my way around. So directly to my right is Brandon Lewis. He is the publisher and the founder of the Tennessee Conservative. 
He worked on U.S. Senate, House, and state and local campaigns, and he is the author of How to Raise Money for Political Office. Brandon, thanks for being here, dude. Glad to be here, bud. Okay, and Joshua Stanifer is here. He's he's a strong conservative who has dedicated his career to protecting Christian conservatives' values. Most recently, he's previously served as the deputy and war room director for Washington, uh, D.C.-based conservative group America Rising, and is currently uh, the owner and CEO of Mission Movement, Inc., where he's helping defeat Democrats across the country. Josh, thanks so much for being here, man. Thanks for having me, Reid. Happy to be here. All right. And then we have Dom Luker. Uh, he is the CEO of Credit Cadabra and the state director of Candace Owens's Blexit movement right here in Tennessee. He's been on New York Times and CNN for his political commentary. Great guy. Uh, just meeting him now. Thanks so much for being here, Dom. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. Before we delve into what we're going to be talking about today, um, I just want to say this. Uh, it just so happens that we're filming this on Thursday. This is the day right before uh, the day of, excuse me, where uh, some service members members lost their lives. So we just want to mention uh, that prayers and thoughts go out to service member families and those who lost loved ones today. Uh, I think the toll was up to 12 dead in this bombing right outside of Kabul airport, uh, and then 15 service members injured as a result of this suicide bombing. And ISIS just came out and claimed ownership for this attack. So uh, right now our president is speaking to uh, the American public about everything that's taken place. And so we want to jump in and and talk about everything that's going on. Uh, I, I, forgive me, I'm going to start a little bit tongue in cheek, uh, even though this is kind of a somber time and quite frankly, probably one of the biggest foreign policy debacles of my lifetime and recent memory. Uh, but I, I do want to start with a little bit of levity if it's all right. And uh, so this is from the Tennessean, uh, probably something Brandon's very familiar with. Uh, and this is a headline from back in uh, October 13th of 2020. And it says, I served 15 years as general counsel of the Republican Party. Here's why I'm voting for Joe Biden. Joe Biden is a problem solver who will work with Republicans to address critical issues facing us during this time of unprecedented upheaval. All right. How are we doing with that, guys? Yeah, how'd that work out, right? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really seem like that to me. Yeah, I think this is interesting because uh, this is one of those times where, and, and the right is guilty of this too, where we get to see right in front of us how active we're going to be about calling balls and strikes down the middle. Um, for those who were very adamantly and emotionally opposed to Donald Trump, um, it, you have to ask yourself, where do you stand now about your vote, especially if your vote was predicated upon maybe a more emotional, which is a bunch of people that I heard voting for Joe Biden because he was a stable force mm. that wasn't going to be as active on Twitter as Donald Trump was. And well, now we see the repercussions of using those kind of emotions to make very, very important decisions. So I, obviously, I'll be the first to say that Trump wasn't perfect. And I hate Hated his Twitter game probably just as much as the most, but it was funny at times as well. Uh, but it mean tweet every <laughs> once in a while. Yeah, I, it kept things a little spicy and interesting. But um, but nonetheless, uh, this is a time where we're starting to see that there may be room for reconsidering uh, how adamant we were about making sure that Joe Biden was our president. So, what do you what do you guys think, just generally well, about that, real quick? I instantly, I mean, are you better off now than you were, you know, a few years ago? And the answer is across the board, no. Inflation's awful. Gas prices are up. We have an oil crisis. Things and now Afghanistan. The reality is that things are not better. Take Democrat and Republican off of it. Let's just rip those titles off and let's just look at things through the lens of how were they? You know, 2019, 2020 obviously was a tough year with the pandemic. 
But let's look at, you know, how things were then to now. It's night and day. It's not a Republican thing. It's not a Democrat thing. It's a common sense thing. Things aren't better for your family. You know, we are at a critical point in time for our country. And it's interesting, the pattern of things, uh, of how these are happening. It almost is eerily reminiscent of what led up to the 2016 election, um, if you really start to break things down. But I think we're at a critical point. Um, especially not, you know, obviously you don't want to politicize these things, but there will be elections coming. And it's interesting to see how this is going to play out because the reality is as a whole, we're not doing better, you know, across the board. And now you, you throw in Afghanistan, this tragic thing that happened today. Um, and if you're watching it back, we just lost 12 servicemen, we believe right now, but, um, it's just a a tragic time for our nation. We're, we're certainly at a crossroads because, we went from leading from a position of strength to now we're kind of almost leading from a position of weakness or behind again. And now we're seeing the devastating con- consequences for it across the board. Yeah, this is not a Republican or Democrat thing is either uh, what I'm about to say. The one thing I keep on hearing is uh, we're working closely with the Taliban or the Taliban is allowing us to do this or Correct. we're reliant upon the Taliban for this. And uh, you'll hear here in a moment that the Taliban is actually checking every single person. The very first checkpoint you come to is a Taliban checkpoint mm-hmm. at the Kabul airport before you can fly out. Um, so... Oh, wow. uh, and, just to piggyback on that, I was just listening um, to a press conference from the Pentagon. We had, a, I believe, they had a general on, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how they share their intelligence stripped down with the Taliban. Yeah. The problem is, though, there's actually been people coming out that are going on and you know giving eyewitness accounts of how the Taliban is turning them away from the gates. They're yeah. literally breaking their phones. They're not letting them through. So it, it's not necessarily this rosy picture mm-hmm. that we're getting. You're hearing one thing. In the media and, you know, kind of from the government that, oh, that we're working great together. This is happening. But the reality is you're having witnesses come forward saying, well, mm-hmm. they broke my phone. They wouldn't let me through for three days. We saw them beat women and all kinds of things. So it's it's you're getting two different reports. And it almost feels like when you think about coming up on the anniversary of 9-11 that we're sitting here talking about working in tandem with the Taliban is just kind of mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like we didn't learn our lesson. All right, for the sake of time, because uh, we probably go a little bit further there, let's just dive in. I want to give you guys kind of a quick timeline, and then we'll talk about uh, if we should have pulled out, um, and maybe the case for doing that or the case against that. So I'll just kind of see where you guys sit as far as that, because there's been a bunch of different things discussed as as far as whether or not we should have done that. So uh, prior to 2020. Uh, You have Osama bin Laden making different attacks um, and overtures um, overseas against against us and declared that the U.S. is a paper tiger, that we could do whatever we wanted to them and they will not retaliate. Then 9-11 happened. Shortly after that, um, we we started asking Afghanistan to um, and the Taliban to uh, release uh, Al Qaeda and to allow us to get information about where uh, Osama bin Laden was. Uh, when they refused to do that, that is when in October of of, of that year, right after 9/11, that we uh, that we eventually went into Afghanistan and that started our occupation, the uh, enduring freedom. Um, campaign that we've had there since. Okay, so fast forward just a little bit, you know, um, through some of the crises that happened through all that and some of the the, the nascent warfare. Uh, fast forward a little bit, and then you have in February of 2020, you have Trump signing an agreement with the Taliban 
Um, and I'll just go ahead and side note there that when that happened, I was scratching my head and I thought that that was a little bit silly. So just so that we can call balls and strikes, I wasn't quite sure about how I felt about that at the time. But moving forward, they, they signed a, um, an agreement to say that the U.S. would withdraw under certain conditions that the Taliban had to abide by. Correct. Um, OK, so you. I don't really want to get into this too much, but I do want to mention the fact that the Taliban, for the most part, did um, abide by those. But there were moments where they did not abide by those conditions that were laid down by Trump. OK. And then when we would come back to them and say, hey, you're not abiding by this condition, they would usually relent a little bit. And then so I don't want to get into what those things were just because that'll take us too much time. But suffice to say, those conditions were tenuous at best. Um, but then Biden takes over and um, then announces that uh, by 9-11 of 2021, uh, we will be fully withdrawn from uh, from Afghanistan. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and say that I think that's probably the most stupid symbolic gesture I've ever heard in my life to basically say, hey, we're releasing Afghanistan uh, 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 on 9-11 just so that the Taliban can rejoice over the fact that they that they won uh, again. So, um, so the question then remains... Okay, should we have pulled out of Afghanistan? Uh, is this just an endless war? Was this a failed attempt at nation building and we needed to just get out of Afghanistan? In fairness as well, I'll just go ahead and say Trump uh, promised that he would get us out of Afghanistan. Right. That's why he signed that agreement. And then uh, Biden as well said that he would do the same and that he was interested in doing the same. So both of them kind of ran on that on that premise and now... Uh, uh, Biden is is following through with that premise. So a lot of things there, but uh, just generally speaking, um, do you think we should have had a presence there in Afghanistan? I've got my own opinion, but I'll let you guys weigh in and then I'll share. Should we have pulled out? Uh, should we have withdrawn it? Like about 19 years ago, mm -hmm. about 19 years ago, uh, when all of this came about, uh, a lot of this war was waged more in the media than on the ground tactically. <laughs> we should have went in and found wherever um, our intelligence led us to where they were and made people aware in, in the local area and then turned the places into potholes. Mm -hmm. uh, if we had done that and then got out, perhaps with a base in a demilitarized zone so that we didn't have to worry about foreign influences coming in and disrupting the oil trade or other geopolitical things, that would have been fine. But instead, we, we did all these half measures. We had one hand tied behind our back. We were worried about the optics of it. We were worried exclusively about civilian casualties. And $2.26 trillion later, and 20 years later, here we are. And uh, we've been there far too long, uh, far too much expense in both lives and treasure to the United States. And this was ugly, and we can talk about how the withdrawal went later, and I know we will. But, yeah, this is long overdue. Okay. What do you guys think? I'm a veteran. I, I do believe that withdrawal, it makes sense for us to withdraw. But as you stated, about 20 years of war, it's about too much American blood in Afghanistan, I feel, just to pull to pull out so abruptly. Uh, it's too much sacrifice. It really is a disrespect to a lot of the people that died there. There's mothers, there's fathers, you know, that grieve behind this thing. And yeah. I feel. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I feel like this is the careful dance of mission, completing the mission, and then nation building if you will of like what is the fine balance of that what is too much mm -hmm. um but the reality is now what we are where we are and you know for example one of the things i was looking up getting ready for this was you know the nato secretary general um in 2017 i believe um no i'm sorry in 2020 came out and had an interesting comment 
that, you know, after President Trump had made his announcement about the ultimate withdrawal, that one of the things that we've got to be careful is that, you know, the price we're leaving too soon or, not, or in an uncoordinated way could be very high. Yeah. And boy, did those words become true. Um, and to kind of piggyback on what you were saying a minute ago about Trump signing the agreement, I think one of the things, too, to remember is that it wasn't just a sense of, hey, we're going to pull out, but it was mm -hmm. also according to the conditions on the ground. Yeah. You know, what will be the conditions on the ground? What, you know, will it lead to chaos? If so, then things will have to change. So mm -hmm. I think there was almost kind of sense that you can move the goalposts on that. But mm -hmm. working in politics, you know, like sometimes they make great campaign, you know, slogans yeah. or, you know, messages of, hey, you know, on paper, it sounds great. We're going to pull out by 9-11 or we're going to mm -hmm. pull out by this time. It sounds great as a slogan, but when you mm -hmm. get into the details of it. Well, I want, I want to say this to be fair because I don't. We'll get into this, too, because you may say he may have, but I'm not positive that, that Biden knew things were going to unfold like they did. Um, but uh, but I think that my kind of pushback for some of what I heard is that I almost totally agree with you, but I slightly disagree with you in that I think that, um, and maybe this is what you said, so you can clarify. I think we should have been there, and I think we should have a consistent presence there, but I think it should be um, as minimal as possible um, because you said maybe have a base there. So I think we should I think we should have a base there because I think we're seeing right now the reason why we were there. Yeah. It, I don't believe it was an endless war. Uh, this is a little bit of a cherry-picking statistics, so I'm going to say this up front, but we haven't had a single death since February of 2020. Now, that's when the agreement was signed, too, so they had a little bit of an incentive not to go and start killing American soldiers. Um, but at that point, we had 2,500 soldiers, very minimal presence in Afghanistan, and the moment that presence was gone, yeah. we saw what happened. And I just think to myself, well, we still have bases in Japan, we still have bases in uh, the Philippines. Philippines, we still have bases in Germany. We have bases all over the world, um, not because we have ongoing warfare, but because we have a presence in these places, because our presence in the world matters. Now, I'll be the first to say, I don't think we are the world's policemen, but I do believe that we have an obligation mm -hmm. to make this world a better place. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to hear what you guys think about that, because I think if we have power to do something mm -hmm. and do not do it, then we are negligent. And, and I think we have somewhat of a responsibility to, to to aid the rest of the world in not letting the Taliban have a whole country at their disposal, and <laughs> certainly not having American uh, military weapons in their disposal that we left behind. I agree. Um, if you look at the day during their insurrection, you see that they were tearing down things like female boarding schools or even places like nail salons and makeup. Um, I really don't feel like the war is lost for the simple fact they were able to embrace those systems and freedom. Hmm. I mean, you all the way in Afghanistan and you have the influence of American freedom. Um, I really don't feel like that's lost. Yeah. They were able to embrace that, to feel a normal life, somewhat normal, what we consider normal. Yeah, people call it colonization, but we see that they miss it. Mm. So, you know, that's really a new thing from the media, claiming that we're colonizing or we're trying to force our influences, but they openly embrace it. We, I think that's just clearly a leftist tactic. Yeah. I think that's nonsense. I, don't, I think we probably went in, and, and I'd love to hear what you think about this. I think we went in with a notion that we were going to nation build, but I'm not sure that as things started to progress, that that really was the notion that we were continuing to operate under. Mm -hmm. I think we were operating as a deterrent for what we were seeing right now in front of our eyes. Oh, yeah. I'm sure the Mongols and the British and the Turks and the Soviet Union all felt the same way. <laughs> That's why this place is called the Graveyard of Nations. Mm -hmm. It's a good place to go spend a whole lot of money and a whole lot of lives, and Sometimes you can't plant a willow tree in a desert mm -hmm. and it live, and people are all emotional and disappointed about it. It's very difficult to plant um, yeah. Madisonian Republic 
in a nomadic, tribal, Islamic country. Mm -hmm. And when they say they embraced it, yeah, I'm sure there are some people, uh, and there's a small percentage of the population that would have loved to have moved toward a Western style of living. However, there were not nearly enough of them. Mm -hmm. And who knows how deep that desire really ran. And given the token resistance after spending $85 billion solely on training uh, the Afghan uh, freedom fighters, military, uh, I'd say there wasn't that much there. I think a lot of people wish and hope and emotionalize that it was there, but I've not seen a whole lot of evidence. I mean, obviously the media is always going to focus on the Americanization or the Westernization of, of the Islamic sure. world when they see it because it's it's the exception, not the rule. I mean, you don't go around filming the the rule. That does not make for interesting. Yeah. That does not make for interesting yeah. media. No, it's like, here's the exception. Here's the angle. Yeah. There's no angle in, it's just like it was 5,000 years ago. That's well, not a good news I, report. Yeah. But there's something to that, though, because I, I liked your analogy there, because the reality is this isn't the first time this country has experienced an uprising or an upheaval. This is a pattern that has developed. And so to this point, I, I think you're correct, though. There's some things that are just you know ingrained into a culture for some sense. And, you know, I'm going to jump back for a second because, Reed, you just said, you know, you, you weren't sure or I think you're just speaking, you know, but about if Biden knew 100 percent that it would escalate to this. What we do know is that he has been getting briefings since at least June on the uh, increasing presence of the Taliban taking over the country. Yeah. So he knew this was coming um, for sure. So I think he definitely knew we were getting to a point now how they've spun that obviously is different. But. Talking about getting into nation building, it's interesting because in 2002, you know, I think we definitely went in that mindset. President Bush had really came up with the idea of kind of like echoing George Marshall of yeah. building a modern Afghanistan. I don't think they were ever going to be a democracy. I don't believe that. Agreed. But we wound up giving them like $38 billion. Uh, Congress passes that in 2002. So it's just kind of interesting. You know, we came in, we complete our mission accomplished, if you will. Um, and then... We go immediately to try to build them. We, we get help them ratify their first constitution. They have their first, you know, kind of actual election. Mm. And it seems great for a season. But like you said, it eventually dies. Yeah. Okay, but let me just push back a little bit and say this. So according to budget, because we're talking about budgets and lives, and, and I don't take that lightly, but um, just using budget, uh, I heard the statistic that um, presently, uh, one percent of our national budget was going to what we were doing in Afghanistan, and that was going to be less just because Biden likes to spend a lot of money. So it was about to go Shocking. down to half of that. Um, so what I what I really want to want to know, and what I think is that, like, when we look at the everything's a cost benefit analysis at the mm -hmm. end of the day. I think Republicans do this better than than people on the left. By the way, we talk about pros and cons a little bit better, especially in terms of ecology. Um, that's maybe a generalization, but, but what, I, what I'm saying is, aren't we better off? Don't we have an invested interest talking about the pros and cons in a, uh, a Taliban free Afghanistan? <laughs> no, 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 no. Of course they're going to take over. They're like the people's choice for the folks that want to take over the country. That's why they took it over. I mean, think about it. What if we're here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we have this war and we get our asses handed to us? And then there's about 2,500 folks left here after 25 years trying to convince us that we need to behead our women in the streets and put them in burqas, and we need to completely change the way we live our lives and adopt a different religion. Who, it's just not going to be culturally accepted. 
And it and especially when most of all of that probably happens in four or five metro areas over there and everybody else is living their life wherever they are completely like we just want these people out of here i'd imagine that's probably how the majority of people over there feel that's how we would feel yeah and because it, it just didn't take and the other thing is there's this huge military industrial complex over there there's a massive incentive i had friends that went over to afghanistan to work in private security because it was very lucrative mm-hmm. and they'd go over there all the time there's lots of money to be made there's still sure. money being made over there which is one big reason a lot of people didn't leave when they should have mm-hmm. they're over there chasing a dollar they've got careers and they i mean it's not like it's been uh it's been a uh, shocker that things were going to devolve over there and it's not like there has not been this long standing uh and continual announcement that we're leaving and that things are going to get dicey and so I think things just got a lot dicier than what a lot of people thought. And they thought, well, we'll be here and it'll be okay. And then when it wasn't okay, uh, we didn't have the infrastructure in place to anticipate that and to help them. Uh, they're kind of like in many ways, some of them are like the folks that when they say, hey, there's a, there's a hurricane coming. There's a hurricane coming. Don't board the windows. Don't stay because if you stay, we can't get you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Don't stay. There's a hurricane coming. So they, this yeah. has been like six months, and now it's like there's this big, huge catastrophe. You no, wonder I, why. I get that, but I, but also 9/11 is still very present in my mind, and I sure. think sometimes we need to. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not all about celebrating our <laughs> horrible moments in our life and defining ourselves based upon those moments. To be totally honest with you, but but I, I think we're there in spite of what they want. And something inside of me just says, the as a Christian, perhaps, maybe, is kind of feeding into this. But I just don't think, um, I, I kid, isolationism doesn't sit well with me in this in this regard, regardless of what the people want. And, and 9-11 is another reason for that, because I think I, we see right in front of our face, 20 years ago, why it matters to us that we, that we stop what's going on over there. What were you going to say, Josh? I was just going to ask you a question. Um, do you feel like if we were to have a decent military presence there, that order could be maintained long term? Or do you think it's inevitable that it would never, there will always be a conflict of some sort? I don't know that we are in the business as a sovereign nation of maintaining order and governance in another nation. It's fair. It's a fair point. That's what nation is defined as. And they have to rule their own nation. Mm-hmm. That's fair. And to that point, um, there are a segment of the Afghan population. I think it's sixty thousand have died so far fighting to you know against the Taliban and mm. other terrorist groups trying to maintain freedom. So I think that's an important thing too to maintain as well that there are sects of people there that do want freedom of some sort and or normalcy. I would throw this one thing out there that I think we often forget. There's a difference between. There's a difference between terrorism and tribalism that we don't understand here in the United That's States a great, as well. Yeah. That's a great There's point. There's a big though. difference. So, for example, you, you look at the American history. You had the French and Indian War. Mm-hmm. You had all kinds of different mm-hmm. things where the where the where the Indians are like, we're tired of these Americans being here. Well, who's coming in from outside? Well, we're going to fight because we don't like them here. Yeah. And or in this case, it could be we're an ex tribe. The Taliban's in the other tribe. We got these Americans here to help us. We hate them. We've been fighting them for three thousand years. Let's go see if we can kill some of them. This is our best opportunity. I mean, it happens all the time in history. And I think when we we don't have tribes, we do have cultural tribes, but we don't have Correct. tribes in that that sense where this is where you define your identity exclusively and genealogically. 
And there's a lot of that in play that probably only folks that intimately study this and don't just commentate on it could probably tell us they're not in this room right now. And so I think that's something we often forget because our culture is so completely different. Mm-hmm. And I think I think you're right, though, because we want to simplify the issue and mm-hmm. kind of make it really black and white. But it's very complex, as you're saying. And I think that gets lost in the media. That gets lost in the hot takes of just like, hey, what do you feel about this or what about this? Because I think there's a lot more layers to this onion. you got to really peel this thing back to get to the root of the core of what this is. And you're talking about as Christians, I think, you know, for me as a believer, um, what we're looking at, I feel like, is kind of like, you know, a, a culture that is almost missing like a moral compass, if you will, of like a true North Star of what's right or wrong. And I feel like that as believers— you know, that is one of the things we've got to rally to, to pray for, you know, against injustice, against things of that nature of uh, caring for that. Because if we don't speak out on those issues and if we don't keep that at the forefront of what we're actively praying and pursuing the Lord to intervene on, I think we leave a vacuum there as well. I think that's a place where because you're talking about like how to feel kind of as a Christian there. I think that's a place you can step in as a believer and say, look, you know you know, we've really got to, you know, pray for this. I think that's where we can step in there. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say something that's going to be totally naive, and then we'll move on to the next yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon's like, yeah, didn't you already do that? Um, uh, as a, so you should extrapolate this beyond just from a national per- political perspective, geopolitical perspective, and you, and you think about it from a theological perspective. These are not some otherized people. These are our brothers and sisters. 100%. And if we... And now I understand there's some some practical concerns here um, that need to be weighed in the midst of it all. But also, too, there's something inside of me that says these are not just those sand people over there that are fighting barbarians from the fifth century. Something inside of me says that's our brothers and sisters over there. Don't we have a responsibility to help them in their time of need? So I, I, I fight that desire at the same time understanding that there are practical concerns that we have to weigh here at home in terms of who we are as a nation, our sovereignty as a nation as well. All right. So uh, without delving into that can of worms, uh, so the next thing we have, I really want to talk to you about is, uh, is the way in which it was done. Because even if we were to agree here that we should have left, um, then uh, the one thing that that we keep on hearing from Biden is that uh, there was no good way to do this if we had stayed there five more years, 10 more years, 20 more years. We just heard it on his live briefing that it was going to be the same conclusion. So the best way to rip the Band-Aid off is to rip the Band-Aid off, to rip it off as fast as you can, uh, because that's the the least painful way to do this. So I want to play this for you, and then I'd like to hear you guys kind of respond to it. Curious to hear your reaction of this consequential speech by the American president didn't run from it. He owned it. He owned his decision. He owned the fact that, as he put it, the buck stops with him. I hope he gets to own their deaths, too. I, I don't I feel like I watched a different speech than the rest of you guys. I was appalled. There was such a profound, bold faced lie in that speech. The idea that we planned for every contingency. I have been personally trying to tell this administration since it took office. I've been trying to tell our government for years that this was coming. We sent them plan after plan on how to evacuate these people. Nobody listened to us. They didn't plan for the evacuation of our Afghan wartime allies. They're trying to conduct it now at the 11th hour. Okay, so that was Lieutenant Zeller. He was on uh, MSNBC with Brian Williams. Brian Williams was the, the first voice you heard there if you're listening to this. And then Zeller's was the one after that. Um, so, 
what we heard there is that he had given some intel from his um, time over there in Afghanistan, but also working with other people there in Afghanistan that were working with soldiers, that they were providing intel to Biden. Now, the other layer, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to load the deck here, but I want to talk about all of it. The other thing that we need to know is that back in 2010, Biden was quoted um, as saying to a U.S. diplomat um, about the humanitarian concerns withdrawing from Afghanistan. And he said, F that, Nixon and Kissinger got away with it in Vietnam. We can get away with it too. Now, um, I haven't seen fact checks on that thing, but that is what was stated. And I haven't heard anybody undermine what was um, said in that personal conversation with a U.S. diplomat. So what do you guys think? Did we... Uh, did we withdraw and do a good job of doing so? And was it always going to be like that regardless of how it was done? I don't think anybody would say it's gone. There's a good job of this at no. all. What, no, what, what about you, Tom? No, go, like uh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that we did it the correct way. I do like um, everything you guys are saying about the bases. I feel like with so much time down there, um, mm -hmm. we should have had some type of deployment situation in the state. And it is a bit hazardous. So we could have done like an eight-month-end deployment for individuals to go down there just to maintain our presence. Yeah. But I, I feel like there would have there's a better approach than how we did it, honestly. And if you know, as that quote you just read, I mean, that's fulfilled. Here we are, you know. But I, no, this is absolutely chaos. And you know, I was listening to a report from some of our senators and congressmen who were saying we're getting briefed behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. And we're hearing this number of people that need to be evacuated, these situations, and then press secretary, the president, other groups are coming on TV and they're saying something different. So the, the whole thing's a mess it, and somebody's lying uh, 100%. But it, it's there, there. I don't feel like there's been a true plan. You know, our allies, everyone has basically criticized this when we came out and said, hey, we're going to work on this timeline. And anytime you're working with the timeline with the Taliban, I mean... No, that's just a hard stop. You know, I think for anyone, I think as Americans, we're all probably shocked that we're in this position now um, of dealing with a deadline that is essentially set by them. And there, there's no way there's been any organization to this. And this is an administration that's found itself in chaos now and are having to make it work, which the reality is it's not. We just lost servicemen today because of it. And it's very possible that we're actually going to escalate the conflict even more. It was terrible. Okay, so I'm going to give Biden a little bit of a pass here in in this regard. The the people that folks are really not talking about a lot right now that have completely mismanaged this uh, is the U.S. military. Mm. The U.S. military had an obligation to at least and specifically who though? Well, because I, I probably would agree with you on this. Any but whoever's in charge of them, the ground over there, and um, because we left back behind 600,000 weapons, seven, mm. 75,000 vehicles, and 200 aircraft, and a lot of intelligence uh, <laughs> devices, a lot of communication more, devices, we'll and um, lots of things. And it, it, Biden, of course, it, he, you know, he is not the uh, sharpest fellow. Uh, he's not cognitively all there. We can see that. Uh, he, he likely is he is just more of a figurehead. He's not very hands-on. He's a terrible president. But the folks that are supposed to implement this are really the ones that I think both sides of the aisle should be coming after, and I believe they eventually will. There should be resignations because it's just it, it just shows that it was so poorly bungled from an operations standpoint. Now, um, would, if, if Trump had been in charge, if he had won the election, if we had left, 
I doubt that there would have been as much bungling of getting folks out of there, and I doubt that they would have left as many things behind. However, as soon as you leave a country that you no longer occupy, toward the end, it's going to turn into a you-know-what show. Sure. And I don't care who you are. And everybody expects that we're going to leave, and it's going to be orderly. It's like a Sunday school classroom. No. No, it's a third-world country in turmoil, and there will be warfare and fighting, and it's going to be a mess. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be like that no matter who left it, because once you leave, it's, it means there's a power vacuum there, and it will be filled. Do you feel like we would have left on Trump's timeline if he was reelected? I don't know. People all the time tell you things that they don't know about. Uh, I don't know that. Nobody knows that. I wouldn't know. Yeah, I, I don't know, but I do think that's worth saying because Biden's saying it all the time. We had to do it because of Trump. Though mm-hmm. so I do want to just mention this, even though it's a little bit off the subject. The man wrote 17 executive orders on day one of his presidency, overturning things that Trump yeah. had done during his tenure. He had zero issue. Mm-hmm. And I, there were other people who came out and said this exact same thing. So this just is a read. He has zero issue with reneging on this contract. Now, however, what it would mean potentially was that it would mean more warfare with the Taliban. So he was in a position where he had to decide, are we going to abide by the terms of this contract um, and pull people out or are we going to not and uh, potentially risk warfare? But this is where I would push back and say, this is where we need a commander in chief that actually has got a backbone and maybe a couple other body parts. Uh, Because the one thing that I keep on hearing, because we've already talked about money, but let's talk about servicemen and women. The one thing that I keep on hearing from these people is we would stay there as long as it takes to get the job done or to make sure that this kind of stuff didn't happen. Jocko Willink was one of them. He was on Fox News the other night. Uh, Marcus Luttrell, the guy that was actually left um, there in Afghanistan uh, in that movie Lone Survivor. I'd heard heard him talking about this too, that... um, that they would take whatever risk was necessary to be there and to make sure that they were protecting people throughout the, the remainder of this withdrawal. Um, so uh, so but back to the point is that uh, Biden keeps on repeating this thing. I was left with this thing. I had to pick up the pieces um, of, of Trump's horrible deal. Blame it on the previous guy. I, I, just, I just wish that I could be in business in the highest office of the land and blame everybody else when I absolutely screw the pooch yeah. on stuff. But I mean, maybe that's politics. Yeah, I find it strange. I, I wish I would like to see Trump blame everything on Obama. <laughs> I couldn't imagine a slap. I mean, I guess they all do to some extent, right? But, but I mean, this is this is ridiculous. That, mm. as as in my opinion, in a list of horrible ways, let's say there was no good way. In a list of horrible ways, we probably chose about the worst way that you possibly could to withdraw everybody. Well, one last thing on this: was it a good? Did we do a good job withdrawing? It is the United States federal government. And, do they do anything good? And, yeah. and, and, right. and they're not even here. Yeah. They're across the globe. Mm. I mean, they can't run the DMV. The Senate <laughs> cafeteria loses money. The post office is always in debt while UPS and FedEx is always printing money. The fact that they wasted right, a yeah. bunch of money and screwed something up, people are like, I can't believe this happened. Like, <laughs> you should be saying, well, that's about when – when I saw all this, I, maybe that's one reason I haven't been ruffled about it. Sure, and my wife's yeah. very ruffled, and a lot of people are very ruffled about it. And the loss of life is is very uh, disconcerting, and that's terrible. But to watch the U.S. government and its all its largesse fail at something yeah. is not surprising. Because it is not – this is not some small entrepreneurial organization yeah. that, that is Johnny on the spot, and they've got a track record of excellence in everything they touch. They really have a track record of wasting money, not achieving objectives. We need very little government and – you know, that's one reason 
I'm glad to see him go. And the reason that Biden probably is is saying um, is saying that he had no choice and that he had to do it with Trump is because he's trying to trying to play to both Republicans like me who think we should have been out 19 years ago and Democrats who think we should have been out 15 years ago yeah. or not 15 years ago, five years ago. And there's really not much of an appetite for it anymore. Although the you know watching it, um, you know this is just bad optics and there are bad results. And so he's dealing with the political fallout and likely will in the midterms. And I hope. Uh, when he runs for president again. I think he will. It's like the Reagan quote, right? The scariest thing is I'm from the government and I'm here to help, mm. you know, and that that's correct. But I think it, it, this is just a colossal mistake right now, though, how it's going down. Yeah. I, I, that quote makes me wonder, um, you know, let, let's let's say it's authentic. That quote that he gave back in the Biden quote, the Biden quote back in 2010 about Nixon and Kissinger and uh, they got away with it uh, and F that. Um I wonder too, and I'd love to hear maybe some of you guys just respond to this really, really quick because I have I've had this idea based upon this this one thought. Democrats tend to treat people in a collective mindset as though they're almost institutions. So mm-hmm. I wonder if um, if that quote and the way in which we pulled people out has anything to do with the, the just the truly democratic mindset of people that these are lives that. Um, are going to be lost and maybe they're casualties of war, but it's worth it to do what we need to do from this policy standpoint. Um, now, I would say that I'm, I'm right there um, giving some pretty bad motive and bad intent, but I don't trust the federal government any more than you do, Brandon. And I can't help but wonder if there isn't a little bit of a, as me as a conservative Christian looking at this and horrified by it, and then people um, in the, uh, in the, in the white house and, and, you know, indoctrinated into the government way of thinking about things, just look at it vastly differently than I do is maybe just kind of a checks and balances kind of thing. Almost like the ends justify the means. Yeah. Oh, man. I don't know. I, you know, that's, that's tough to say if that's their thought process, but I will say regarding the optics, they've already started doing the damage control of what will happen when all the Americans probably are not out by saying people mm-hmm. are not doing the proper things to get out of the country yeah. or choosing not to. So, we know that's happening, but I, I don't know. That's that's tough to say. To you know, I I think, I, I think is, the point you know of his quote, which I hundred percent believe, because I mean that goes back. Like I don't know if you remember when he told Biden this, or told Obama, it's like this is a big effing deal. You know when they passed it. Was it Obamacare when they passed it? And he said that. I don't remember, but yeah, but, I remember him um, saying it. Yeah, I caught on the hot mic one of the many times. So it doesn't surprise me hearing <laughs> yeah. like hearing that quote. Um, to think it's real, but I think it's just a mindset of like, you know, if I have the power of the executive and I can control the media and the message, I can get away with whatever I want. And I think that's what the mindset is. I don't know if they take into fact of, oh, well, we're going to lose these people. Of course, they're going to say that. Mm-hmm. But I think if you do that, maybe for them that makes that decision too. I don't know. Well, if you if you pull out of Afghanistan, people will die. If they don't die getting shot or blown up, Falling off a plane trying to leave? Or falling off a plane trying to leave. They will get ran over by moving trucks. They will have car accidents. They will fall on things. You get that many people over in one place. And I I kid you not, it's almost like when they they had the Trump rally and like five. I mean, now these people were were genuinely killed. But had this not even happened, five people died. Well, Mm. about 15 people die at Bonnaroo every year (laughs) because there's like 
a crap ton of people there, and that yeah. is your somebody's ticket is up. It's statistically going to happen. But yeah, but the now only, this was not that. But I'm saying I get what you're saying. Sure. It's like going to be masses of people, and then what you're But the caveat like, is trying to part survive. of the mass here. The the mass at Bonnaroo or Lollapalooza or whatever it is, um, uh, or on they, LSD and their favorite time. <laughs> well, they they yeah. died at, they died at the insurrection, you know, and they what yeah. a heart attack. But but I'm just another like, guy's like 65 yeah. years old. Somebody else was probably but, in a but wheelchair. I think, is, I think this is another like put yourself. <laughs> I mean, it's I, ridiculous. I, I hear what you're saying. Like I, I get you're talking about the crowd, but I think you're going from the point of like this well, is like life and death kind of. So there's a difference. Of course, yes. if my baby was in my hands and I knew the Taliban was coming over here. They were going to shove my wife in a burqa. They were going to hold me at gunpoint if I didn't practice what they told me to practice and did exactly what they told me to do. I would absolutely try to be jumping on a plane. Yes. Too. Except course. why else? Why else did those guys do that? Except they're just absolutely desperate. They weren't stupid. They 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 were desperate. Which yeah. shows you something's wrong. Yeah. Of course, yeah. something's wrong. Like it's like, been wrong for people, a long time. But I'll say before that, they said they have at least about four thousand, constantly getting like around four thousand people every month trying to. Exit Afghanistan, unable to like the citizens there. So. Yeah. Well, in um, the four thousand, I think I think this is worth stating too, just so the people at home know, is that presently there's about four thousand four hundred people that they've taken home uh, that are American citizens, and they think that anywhere between six and eleven thousand people are still on the ground, and we have about five days to get them out. Wow. Five. Um, people from California are still trapped. I don't know if you guys have seen that story, but the people from the high school in California are trapped there as well. High school. I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of American... Dig into that story real quick because I'm not familiar with it. Um, but uh, <laughs> suffice to say, um, and this is just in Kabul, uh, Americans that we know that are just in Kabul, mm, so this is wow. not just in the whole of Afghanistan. Mm. So the reality is is that there's not going to... Um, there's not going to be... Everybody is not going to leave in time. It's just mm. not going to happen. So that does bring us kind of to the next thing. And um, mm. so I just kind of like to... I know this is a little bit conjecture, but I still think that there's some some benefit to kind of thinking about this. Where does that leave us in terms of what the future looks like? Do you guys feel like um, this means we're going to have to go back to war with them because of everything that's happened in order Honest. to rescue hostages? Are we going to have to, uh, I think maybe a more, because of the very passive tone that uh, Biden is taking and the very shift blamey tone he's taking, mm. uh, I think it's very likely that what it, what we're going to do is not only leave behind military equipment for the Taliban to have, no. but we're also going to start giving them bribe money so that we don't have to go to war with them and so that it doesn't look bad on Biden um, and uh, so that we can actually get our uh, American citizens out. Because the, the Taliban has already said this it's bad blood uh, if they don't get everybody out in time and that means that they are not going to honor their agreement so that essentially means they're they're going to fight back if we don't get everybody else out in time. And, and they said they're not going to let them leave after the 31st. And everything from the White House makes me think, well, they don't really have the will to kind of mm. push back against that, but I don't know. And to piggyback on that real quick, talking about the California story, um, according to the New York Times, there's almost two dozen students and their parents from San Diego County uh, that are trapped in Afghanistan <laughs> after they visited the, visited the country this summer. The 20 students and 14 parents are stuck and have requested assistance to fly home. Good God, why? Like, why? <laughs> I, I mean, and I hate to say this. That's the question but I've they were had. Visiting that, well, I didn't know we had so many Americans down there well, that I, wasn't I'm military. Not, you, know what it is. you know what it is? There are people over there. I think there has somebody. This is something somebody should have researched before they came over here. I'm sorry. Uh, this is, I told, when <laughs> Reed, when Reed what, asked what me to come to on here and talk about this, I was like, could you have picked something that I would like to talk about less? I don't think so. But here I am. And so, at any rate, uh, how did they, why, 
would you still be? So, number one, <laughs> why would you be there, period, if you're not a, a U.S. military personnel who absolutely has to be there or a military contractor, in which case you think the military will kind of you'll leave when they leave? So if you're not one of those people and you got stuck over there, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, somebody please answer why. And then, like, this last group, I don't let my daughter go to the Brainerd Walmart because mm-hmm. there's shootings in the parking lot. Yeah. And I've seen fights break out in there. I will not let her go. I go in there. I don't, I'm not letting any of the females in my family. <laughs> Honey, let's take the kids on a trip to Afghanistan. <laughs> that is insane. Agreed, but you got to get them out. Yeah, you know, it's like when somebody you know gets for sure. You yeah. know, if somebody stays in a hurricane, and, I know you're not and you, that. once you figure out that you can get to them to the point where it's safe, where everybody doesn't die getting right. to them, you have to go rescue the person that should have left. But you yeah. just wanted to ask them, why did you stay here? They they ate the hurricane warning. Sleep. It's kind of like the thing with North Korea with Ottoman uh, with the. He did. I think he disrespected like a flag in North Korea. Oh yeah, the guy that was. uh, He went on the missions trip or whatever, and he took a sign from a hotel or something. Yeah, that's all it took. And they put him in prison for like it was going to be like twenty years. Yeah, he died. He pretty much died. They sent him back Mm -hmm. to the United States. He had his last breaths in the hospital in the Mm U.S. Yeah, I mean. But it was a choice. It's one of those things, like you're saying, it's a choice. Yeah, you, we did try to get him, and Obama got a lot of slack because he wasn't able to get him, but it still falls on the individual choice. You, you so. definitely have the choice. I think it's, and it's sad. in the culture, too. Yeah, and, and like it says these people are going to visit their family. So if who knows? I, I th- well, let's let's be there. fair, too, and just say that is choice, 100%. But there's yes. a lot of people right now who are trying to get out of that country who helped military soldiers mm-hmm. and stuff like that who deserve well, to get yeah. out. The special uh, immigrant visas, yes. And who would have thought, you know, coordinating with the Taliban to work the gates mm. wouldn't go smoothly because a lot of them, <laughs> like, are getting turned away. Yeah. And that's been part of the problem is not everyone can get through the gates. Wow. When they I don't understand why you would have the enemy have oh any uh, logistical responsibility for well, an evacuation. But in this case, they're our partner. So mm. now it's like, it's almost like, the the my, there's been a paranoid shift from the enemy to now they're 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 intelligence partners because we're exactly sharing yeah. we're sharing intelligence with them now. This is a whole other conversation it's, because the thing that I keep on hearing and I even did a video about it yesterday is about the new image of the Taliban. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, how it's they've be changed. Reformed. There's a new yeah. face. Yes. I know well, the Communist Chinese Party has a great media department. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean they do. It's amazing. It's they fantastic. have a strong Twitter presence still. You know, yes. like there's been yeah. no shutdown of that, no, you know, oh, no. no mention. President no. Trump's was shut down, but buddy, we'll let the the Taliban keep. And they it negotiate up. on Twitter among uh, of Afghanistan. Oh, so yeah, yeah. Wapo did a did a, a story on this and talked about the PR wing of the Taliban and how they uh, evade, uh, you know, sidestep uh, getting banned on social well, media. Did, My favorite one was he came out and he said, uh, and sorry for he came out and he said uh, the PR guy was like, listen, women. Stay indoors. We haven't trained our men on how to like be respectful <laughs> wow. to women yet. It's, it's gonna happen. Sure, that training program is gonna, gonna work go out. Real I promise. Well. Yeah. Just wait till after America leaves. It's gonna be great. Go ahead. I was saying, did anyone see with CNN pretty much uh, downplaying them saying death to America? Uh, mm. The Taliban was saying that. No, I'm sure. I mean, even our media has been giving them a lot of good PR, and they were saying it's mostly peaceful. This is the same media, you know, that talk oh, about when I cities on fire. I did see that, and I, this might yeah. be the same clip where she literally—it's crazy. It's like on a Sunday, she's dressed like a normal yeah. Western reporter, like nothing crazy, and then like on Monday, she's in All a full black. burqa, covered completely, and she's like. They seem like moderately nice people, yeah. except for random incidences where they do occasionally chant "Death to America," <laughs> and that was the report. That yeah. was the actual it's, report. Yeah, it's they like don't this want is the same. There. We should leave. 
They don't want us there. That you don't this, chant death to America. That's not like a that's not like saying aloha. That is like we do not want and, you here. Well and your heart breaks though, man, for like yeah. people with the babies, like take my kid or the mm. the, the youth holding on to mm. the airplane. Like it's just like God, that dance of like what what is enough that we can do? Well to yeah. piggyback on what you're saying, how they don't want us there. Also with that same video, there were people just regular citizens in Afghanistan taking pictures with the Taliban. Mm-hmm. As fans, you know, uh, approving of what they're doing. They have fans. The sun people aren't They have, look at their Twitters. Those followers are true they followers. They have more fans than we have. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, yeah it's 100% valid. They have a lot of fans. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. But why do we care what they want? I mean, this is what I keep on coming back to is like, um, okay, yeah, they don't want us there. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, they hate Americans. Uh, and that, in my mind, that's why we're there. This is yeah. coming all the way like, full circle to the thing that we're talking about. That's why we're there. Because we have the power to say, we don't care what you want, and we can impose a little bit of our will on you because we believe, and this is part of the thing that I think is part of America exceptionalism. We have a privileged moral standpoint, and yes, we believe that we have the right to tell you what we think, and we're going to put force behind that act of will. Now, maybe I'm saying nation building, but I'm not really saying that. What I am saying is this, is that you may not want us there, but we don't care what you have to say because, damn it, we're America. And we're, what we're going to do is we're going to step back and we're going to uh, or we're gonna step to the plate and we're going to make sure that uh, the things that you want, because we know that they're bad, they don't happen. And to piggyback off that, if you look at the Hong Kong protests, what they were doing was holding the American flag in their streets. I mean, that alone shows how we're the symbolism of freedom Absolutely. across the world. I we mean, should we, have done something there, too, and we didn't. See, now there's a, there's a place where the United States could have a cultural impact where the love of democracy and freedom because of colonialization from the British Empire would have a chance. The, the soil is rocky, but you could grow something there. Talking about and China. It, talking about China. Uh, well, and Hong Kong specifically. Hong Kong specifically. Mm-hmm. And, and those people have an understanding. Uh, they speak the English language. They're literate. Uh, there's not a lot of that in, in Afghanistan. Yeah. They, they, they are 169th out of 186 countries Wow. By income per resident, which means like you, they're almost at oh the bottom God. because the country is so poorly mm. mismanaged. They don't have the resources to – if you don't have the resources to, to gain literacy, if you don't have the resources to uh, worry about clothing and shelter, all of these wonderful, beautiful, high-minded American ideas that we have sitting in a very – in basically what would be considered uh, wealth and opulence right here. Luxury, yeah. Right here where we are. Hopping in our horseless carriages, going down to the gym before we go tuck our kids in, mm-hmm. into bed in mansions. Uh, you know, we thought, oh, all these people. It's like, it has nothing to do with reality. If any of us spent a couple of months out in a rural area mm-hmm. in Afghanistan, we'd come back here and go, yeah, should have left that place 19 years ago. They don't want us here. Nothing here is going to change. And so I, last thing on this, Christians have this idea that we should save the entire world because it's biblical. When I read the Old Testament and I hear God talking about the different tribes, no, the different tribes over in the Middle East, there's some of them that he thought, he said, your city, I'm going to destroy it because you are immoral and you worship idols and da 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 and I will wipe you off the face of the earth. God, or in, and even in the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles were not like overly excited about idolaters. And even though they would go in and try to convert pagans, there are certain areas that they would not even go into and that they thought, at the time at least, were hopeless for Christianity. 
And so I think there is probably more biblical evidence for the fact that sometimes uh, God's providence rests upon some and doesn't, and he is fully righteous, and he's, but he's not fair, and he's not equitable. And that is something very difficult for Christians to come to grips with in American culture. Yeah, but there is a sense also, too, you'd have to agree with biblical occupation. Because, I mean, that's like, uh, not only did that happen to the Jews, but that obviously happened. God would say, go in there and get rid of those people. Uh, say that again. I'm sorry. Biblical occupation. Explain and, that to the listening audience <laughs> and to yeah, me. So, so, like for Jericho, for instance, he said, these people are idolaters. These people have wicked ways. I want you to go in there and I want you to get rid of them. So, what atheists accuse uh, the Bible of and God of doing is uh, to issuing forth genocide. But what God is doing there is, so I, I think there's a case for both, is what I would say. To nuance that idea just a little bit further, you can see where God says, don't go near there. But there's also plenty of evidence where he says, go right up in there and impose your will upon those people because these people are evil. Yeah, but he also picked places. I tried to preach in such and such place and nobody listened. So I shaked off the dust of my feet yeah, and got it's the both. hell out of there. It's both, and yeah. so there's, and, but people think there's only one today. Like if you listen to most Christians' viewpoint, it's like, you know, every, that there's no difference in the missionary field, that it's all identically yeah, the same, and it makes no difference. And I don't see that biblically. I don't see that, that mission fields weren't chosen for specific reasons. Now, sometimes we not, may not specifically understand God's reasoning for it, but he, he picked and, cho and chose. And um, and he even says at the end of days, not everybody's going to come around. Mm, sure. Well, if that means everybody's going to come around, then that means some people are going to be left. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's yeah. a weird thing to consider. We don't know who those people are, but it, it, it is a weird thing to consider. One. But I think at the same time, I think we can't write off an entire mm -hmm. nation of people and, and come from a from a, a hopeless or faithless point of saying that there there's no potential salvation for them. And that's yeah. Yeah, I don't well, think that, anybody's doing and, that. And, no, and, and, but I'm not, yeah. and I'm not saying that you are, but I think we just got to be careful of the mindset of because at the same time, there's consequences for, you know, each decision we make knocks over another domino so like there's reports talking about how the christian community has actually been emboldened and grown quite a bit since uh our u.s uh, military presence has been there and obviously many of them thousands of them are fearing for their lives so yeah. i mean we could also argue that a, a good reason to have some sort of stability of some sort there of normalcy however that can be established is so you know can get yeah, groups like that of the christian faith can come in and also help establish some sense of a moral compass there's been tons of converts there's a lot of reports going on right now i'm sure you've seen it um talking about you know in the faith communities of people holding like you know these prayer rallies and all these things about it because there's been such a resurgence of people coming to the lord there so i think you know it, it's it's a dance of figuring out like you know is it worth it to do one thing you know to, to have the opportunity to go there and be able to win it's because you're really it, it's it's about to be if things goes as they are, it's going to change. You know, there's a report of the Taliban killing people that have the Bible app on their phone. Sure. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, there's and there's a difference so. between um, there's a difference mm. between militarily occupying a country 20 years after the incident occurred that supposedly drove us there and mm -hmm. Christian ministry. I agree. And like the, the, the United States Department of Defense is not responsible for Christian ministry. <laughs> it's just you know, let you know. And so it's uh, it's I, just. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying that they are, but I, but what I'm saying is though, it, it who's to say it has to be military occupation? I mean, there's uh, there's ways we could work with partners or whatever, if, but there's got to be some kind of solution that can be made. 
I think the idea of of just kind of leaving it to explode, if you will, is kind of dangerous because what will happen is you'll feel good about it right now, but the reality is 20 years from now, you'll be back. Mm-hmm. It's inevitable. So I, I feel like... Do it. So they'll be back for us. Yeah, you know, and and so I I feel like there's, you you leave it void, there'll be a resurgence, you'll be back. So what is the final? Well, we may be back. We'll we'll see. We're either, one of two things. We were in Japan and Hmm. MacArthur left. We're not back. I mean, we got a base there. But uh, would you qualify though? Like It's it's different. It's different. My my father-in-law's from Japan. Yeah. And so... This like I, I wouldn't qualify the, the you know. yeah those are dissimilar but we do totally. leave areas where we have fought previously we left Europe we left all kinds of places that yeah. we fought previously and we left it completely up to the I people. just think I just think withstanding I do I wonder if Afghanistan is one of those places where we shouldn't have a, a some type of permanent presence but who knows um, but so let's move on and just talk about this last thing because um, and I think some of you guys hearing your your hearts and stuff around the table I think you would agree with this, that it's really easy to um, put on a moral facade and care about what's happening in another part of the world and not to really focus on the things that you can actually do something about. Come on. Um, Social so, media warriors. Yeah, popcorn. <laughs> and I don't want to do Pop that. Um, Ch- change my profile pic. I'm I don't, well, I don't do that at all. <laughs> <laughs> Smart man. Uh, do it at all. I only post family pictures. You know. uh, <laughs> uh, Jordan Peterson, who I love, was talking on a talk show, and there was a woman that asked him a question about climate change. And forgive me, I don't remember exactly the context of the question. But essentially, Jordan Peterson said that it's easy to take a moralistic stance um, against things that are going on outside mm. of you rather than to clean your own room or take care of what's happening in your own home. Um, and so I don't want to run the risk of doing the very same thing here with what we're talking about today. So We may have already done that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Going to need to restart the recording. So <laughs> I'll be the first to admit, my sympathy for what is happening over there doesn't mean a thing to them, mm. uh, to anybody in Afghanistan, to any mother that's with a child or anything like that. Um but uh, but there is one caveat to that, and maybe, maybe two. Um, I am not going to take on the leftist position. I'm just not. I know this comes from a position of faith, but I'm not going to take on the leftist position of it's a cop-out just to say we're praying our prayers and our thoughts, our prayers and our thoughts. Okay. Now, there is a sense in which I'm, I'm willing to nuance here, too. There is a sense in which that is a cop-out. There is a sense in which that is just the easy thing to say in a situation like mm-hmm. this. But if you truly believe in prayer... Yeah. and you are a Christian, you believe that there's power in prayer um, and that the more informed prayers that you can pray about what's going on and the more powerful prayers that you can pray directly about the things that are going on there, I think the better off uh, those prayers become. So I would say I think that's the first thing. Um, I've got one other thing that uh, that has happened, and you guys don't know about this yet, so I'll, I'll reveal it, but I'd like to hear um, what you have to say. And of course, you might say, uh, we shouldn't, we should be caring about this, but should we care about what's going on in Afghanistan? And maybe that was a question we should have asked at the very beginning, but I wanted to save it to the very end for this reason, that I feel like um, there is some merit in the conversation. And if it's only for that, for those who pray, so that they can so that they can pray informed prayers about people who are hurting right now, so that we don't stick our head in the sand and pretend that although it's in a different part of the world, their suffering doesn't matter, then I think that there may be a little bit of nobility there. But what do you guys think? I think we should care. Um, 
I just don't want to sound so elementary just to say because it's human lives, but it's pretty much what it comes down to for me. Um, I don't know. I just know if I was in that situation, I would want someone to care for me at a bare minimum. Yeah, I would at least want that. One thing I don't like, I might get some slack about the A9 uh, community, and I support a lot of things about it. It's just how addicted people have gotten to being passive and waiting for a savior. You know, where we go, when we go, all, all that is true, but most people just go home. And we wait on these changes because we're constantly being told it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. I just really feel like that mindset is toxic. Um, mm. Caring is one thing, but I do feel like we should have more people that care and care enough to get active. Yeah. Or at least start your own community, you know? there's Everyone has homeless people around and yeah, things like that. that. So if you yeah. do it, maybe you start small and you can get a little bit larger and maybe we can impact Afghanistan. But it's far too many people that are saying they're praying. And then if you ask them, hey, what can you do there? They say nothing, but they'll go home and drive past a thousand homeless people. Well, I, I, I want to I say both. I'm going to forget to say this if I don't just weigh in real quick. Go ahead. Go um, ahead. Uh, th this is my case against isolationism, or at least against a Christian standpoint of isolationism, is that um, I'm a missionary at heart. I've traveled the world preaching the gospel and speaking to people about Christ. And the one thing that I've heard from haters, um, uh, mostly here in Tennessee, um, but uh, just people here in the United States, is, well, you got homeless people in your own backyard. Why are you going to Africa to minister to homeless people? Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason why is because I think the more you get the heart of Christ, the more you see the world as a global community of mm -hmm. people just like you, regardless of if they're in a different continent or not. So, so yeah, but I think both and, right? It's not the baby out of the bathwater here because the reality is, yeah, if you're not doing what you need to be doing at home, then it could just be you're taking a trip, not a mission trip. But, um, but, but it's both. I mean, if you're going to have the heart of Christ, um, I do believe that it necessitates us being active beyond our borders and getting that heart for the world yeah. that you're talking about with the, the apostles and the acts of the apostles. Yeah, I think we absolutely should care for our brothers and sisters over there. And to piggyback on what you're going to say, I I got to travel to the Middle East in 2012 and um, we didn't go to Afghanistan because why would you go to Afghanistan? <laughs> but, uh, uh, <laughs> um, but we went to you know Israel and we went to Jordan and we went and hung out with the Bedouin people. And it's crazy because you're across the world. These mm -hmm. kids were uh, in like a, a school kind of orphanage kind of thing. And um, when I got there, they were like, are you a WWE wrestler? <laughs> and I just started laughing because I'm like, I don't play that big guy. But, you know, <laughs> but it hit me. I was like, wow. It, th yeah. There's a sense of normalcy and like, like we're not so different on some things, mm -hmm. you know. And th these are kids that like, you know, and families that were just normal people mm -hmm. like here they weren't crazy they weren't radicalized or anything and it makes you realize that there are sex like you were talking about of people that are just normal that live out you know that are just kind of like wanting a normal yeah. life and so i think yeah we, we we've got to care for those people we've got to pray for them and to your point though uh, we can do a couple things you know we we can pray but we can also take action you know uh, and put our faith in, you know uh into movement like you know groups like you know supporting what glenn beck's doing Mm -hmm. Helping, you know, you're, we talked about the government's not doing a good job, but there's actually been, mm -hmm. you know, the private sector's doing a pretty great job of rescuing people. Um, so I think, you know, getting involved, donating there, you can make a difference with your money there. And then also you could be inspired to take that to your home community, mm -hmm. though. You know, it just takes one person yeah. to have that spark of hope to make an impact in their area. Um, and you could do I, I think that's got to be a thing. It can't just be praying and hoping. Yes, we have to have faith yeah. for those things, but we also need to 
you know, like you were talking about, even the, the apostles went to the towns as well. They had faith they would convert, but they also mm-hmm. did the walking to get there. So I think we've got to do that as well here. So there's a couple of reasons. Number one, you've got, I'm one of those, I'm just uber practical. Uh, and that's why I run a state and local news publication where I can help report on policy that makes Tennesseans' life better. Mm-hmm. And I watch when we report on committees and subcommittees and when we break stories about things that nobody else wants to cover, that it drives and moves policy and it, and it gets mm-hmm. messages out there that changes things. I can physically look at the change I'm producing. So I'm, stuff that's outside of my locus of control, I listen to about 15 minutes of national news a day, and that's it because I can't do anything about it. Yeah. Everything else is state and local. I can do something about it. So that's my form of getting involved in my community. I'm very uh, immediately, I don't want to commentate. I want to move things around. Yeah. And so that's that's my perspective on it. But obviously there's a humanitarian crisis. If I saw a little girl that was lost or struggling, and if the worst came to worst, and my wife and I had to raise her and there's nothing else we could do, we'd do it. But I'm not in a position to do that. And so I'm. You know, there's what I would do if I could personally do it, and there's there's what I have no control over, and I tend mm-hmm. to focus on what I have control over. Now, this is where I'm going to completely, completely make the audience mad. We should care about a couple things. One of them is energy independence. That is, there's a lot of oil that comes out of Afghanistan and the destabilization of that area. Joe Biden has already uh, tried to neuter us uh, in the energy department from being able to be self-reliant. Mm-hmm. There's a big, huge reason that we should care because it impoverishes americans when energy is expensive that's the practical outcome of not having your own energy independence the second reason we should worry about it is the folks that that are forming those geopolitical alliances would very much like to disrupt the oil supply they are closer to the oil supply than we are and they would like to to leverage that and be in china and russia and so those are reasons that americans should 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 care about what's going on over there and i think 19 years ago we should have set up a very small you know, base maybe in Pangier where they weren't able to get in there. <laughs> put it to say, hey, we'll protect y'all if we could put a good little, you know, put a little army base over here in an airstrip. Yeah. Then that way, if stuff ever goes bad, we got a base to get out of and we can go bomb the crap out of a bunch of people and come back here and have right. a cocktail and we can keep everything stable over there to the degree that we can. Uh, last thing there are people living normal lives, there are people living normal lives in every culture. Just because it's not our normal does not mean we need to go over there and try to convince or compel by force and, and, and blood them to live the way we live. Christians think we should. I don't think we always should. Yeah. I don't know if Christians – I think that's a – that's a broad stroke to say Christians. Well, not Christians think we should. I'd say Christians and even like what I call neoconservatives think we yeah. should. We got to change the whole world somehow. Mm. Well, I think there's a difference between because uh, saying the point of like they're coming to you know raw, use force and blood. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a Christian perspective at all. I would push back and disagree with that. Well, the combination of the two, the Christian conservative thinks force comes first, evangelizing comes second. In these situations, once they're once they're on the ground, that seems to be kind of like the. But would you say that hear. that's the real showcasing of Christ? No, I, it's not. So I wouldn't even call <laughs> it Christianity. I mean, no, I would say what, I think what I've tried to communicate throughout this is that Christian compassion demands that we care about our, uh, what's happening at home, uh, which is some of the things you just illustrated, which I think are important. But then also we care about 
uh, imminent threats that we can do something about if we have the power to do it. And I believe that the Taliban taking over Afghanistan is an imminent threat. So I'm a Christian conservative. And I would say I don't necessarily echo what you just said about Christian conservatives. I just think that we have a moral obligation because we have the power to do something about it to stop imminent threats from forming if we can, if we're very aware of it. Now, we can't do everything. But let's face it, we're not doing everything. We're just looking at something that's right in front of our face that we already see is an imminent threat. Well, there's, there's a problem, and no one's offering a solution to the problem, and that's what we're left with. Sometimes the solution is like nobody wants to hear it. Like you, mm-hmm. A lot of people make a lot of money telling folks what they already think and want to hear. There's a lot of money to be made in that. You go on TV, you can yeah. do whatever, say, I know, I bet about 50, 60, 70% of the American people feel like this. So I'm going to get out there and harangue about it. Sure. And there's a lot of money to be made in doing that. It works really well. But sometimes you leave a place and it's a mess because a war has ended. Like if you look, you go through the history books, mm-hmm. and almost every instance it's not. And the occupying force left, and there was tranquility and harmony, <laughs> and there was no power vacuum. It's like this is happening, and it has happened every time in human history. And everybody sits around the table and is like, wow, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> I mean, that, is, that is a shocker. Biden definitely didn't. And I know. <laughs> well, I mean, the administration but, would argue you know, that. But, I mean, it is. it, it could have been yeah. done better, obviously. I'm not saying all this is done well. But, sure. I mean, it was at some point, and it wouldn't have been this bad, at some point it would have gotten real rocky, and there would still been a few people left over there that always is, mm-hmm. and it won't leave early. And uh, or can't or whatever, and uh, I don't know. To me, it's just I was raised by World War II generation grandparents, and my dad was born in '37, and I was raised by a very stoic, practical. They're the ones that won the war, but like greatest generation. Paul Paul was very well. We did the best we could over there, and I liberated some concentration camps. And I really don't like talking about it, and that's kind of how I feel about it. Like you do a job, you do the job that you can do, and then once that job is over, you gotta put it behind you and you move on yeah. now, today that is like that is some kind of emotional heresy it's like sometimes the best thing you can do is put it out of your mind and move on yeah and it's old it's old man advice which I, you get a lot from old men if y'all got this trouble pop all should i do I'll tell you what the best thing is you put it out of your mind and you move on and right. sometimes militarily that's what happens but nobody wants to hear it i yeah. think that's that's a fair point but i think also just because we're not thinking about it doesn't mean it's not going to be chaos and i think we, we're at an inevitable point. So we can talk about how we don't care anymore and we could flip that switch off. Like if this other room was on fire or other building, two mm-hmm. buildings over, I could say, I don't care that that building's on fire because I'm in this building and I'm not going to pay attention to that building on fire because they've got people that can put the fire out or whatever. They've got buckets and a hose. I might have a fire hydrant or whatever. I'm not going to worry about it. They've mm-hmm. got it doesn't mean the building's not on fire. So I feel like, yes, we can think like that, but I think it's inevitable that eventually the flames are going to come back. Well, I think we're already seeing that. I mean, one of two things are going to happen, mark my words. We're either going to start doling out money to the Taliban, which is, again, an imminent threat to the rest of the world, or we're going to go back to war with them, which is going to cost more money and more more lives. I'm saying we're going to see a little bit of both. I'm going to make a prediction. I never do this. Here's what's going to happen. Some people pick Super Bowl winners. We're going with We're gonna, I'm just, I will never do this. But here's what I, I think this I think this is likely what happens. I think you're right both times. I think that we're going to go over there. We're going to get out. I think the Taliban, if it were me, and somebody had been occupying my country for 20 years, right about the time that the people were leaving, like, let's take a few pot shots, boys. And you can't control all your men. And you can't control all your men with that kind of – I mean, it's not even a military. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just citizens – 
Yeah. It's citizens running us out of their own country, which happens a lot to occupying forces. And then I bet something goes haywire, and so Joe gets to save a little face. I bet we bomb a bunch of stuff and get out of there. I bet that's probably what's going to say, Honey, Mr. Biden, you got to do something. Your approval ratings are really bad. We need to go they bomb are. some stuff so you look strong. Okay. And I think that's what happens. <laughs> so it's a great Biden, yeah, And I think you're right. I think he goes beyond the August 31st. And, you know, during the Pentagon briefing, they were like, we're going to hunt down ISIS and whoever did this. Whoever you know, killed these men. And now, gosh, we'll be over there again for another 20 and years. Then, <laughs> well, that's what they said. They're, they're going to find them. So you're, I think you're right. I think the, oh, we'll hit that August. <laughs> I didn't want the third part. We're going back, boys. It's, we'll be having this. Let's, let's do the 20th anniversary of this podcast. We'll come back yeah. here and I'll be saying the same thing. <laughs> giving old man advice at that point. <laughs> and the same thing to be true. I said, I just, kept, I just kept the paper from the last 20 years. Oh, look here. It's all still the same. All still the same. No, I, th- I think you're right, though. I think after the deadline, he'll push it, and then he'll do a bomb, save face, and then play hero of the day for yeah, a Yeah, yes, he'll be, on the, he'll be on the cover of Time Magazine. Man of the year, Joe Biden. <laughs> in the midst great. of crisis, in the midst he rallied, of crisis. His, it, it rallied you know, his leadership. Yeah, and gave us direction. I'm just waiting for him to get out of office so there can be a weekend at Bernie's three because the dude is a perfect candidate, uh, candidate. for it. I'll tell you, whoever the GOP nominee is going to be next run, it is they're setting it up for him. Like, I mean, the chaos with all this, the con- everything. I mean, if he doesn't it nail it, and if we don't get back to Senate in the House, there's no hope. For it's, it's getting set up. All right, so um, I want want to just go kind of in this way because this was echoed by by a couple different people. Um, I think, (laughs) uh, why should we care? Some great things that were said right there. And uh, to me, that made this conversation totally worth it Um, uh, in a couple different ways. I think it helps. I think it helps you pray. I think there's some geopolitical concerns. But also, too, uh, why should we care? I think in the act of caring, it especially as a Christian, it pushes you toward action because you cannot be a good conscience Christian and just sit back and do and uh, and and very often not just resort to inactivity. Now, sometimes because you think that's the best option, but very often there are times where you get convicted about doing something. And so that's what happened with me. And so as I was praying about this stuff, God really convicted my heart that I wanted to use this show as more than just an opportunity to have a great conversation. But I wanted to use it as an opportunity to raise funds to help support some of the ongoing efforts to help people in Afghanistan. And just about that time, I received an email from David Eubank. Now, David Eubank is a friend of the show, and he is the founder of Free Burma Rangers. You need to go back and listen to our past episodes with him. It's That episode is absolutely one of my favorite, and what he is doing in and around the world is just absolutely amazing. So suffice to say, the Free Burma Rangers go into active war zones and they offer medical aid and they help people escaping. So they literally jump in the midst of bullets whizzing by their head to go help people. And they are going to be doing that in Afghanistan. So when he sent that email, I knew immediately we need to get behind them and we need to support them financially. So I'm going to put that down in the show notes. I'll put their website and also their address. So if you want to send a check or anything like that. So just wanted to let you guys know that part of our time here today was to take up some money and to uh, uh, provide resources to the people who are are suffering right now. I can get behind that kind of practical action. Yeah. So thank you guys very much for being a part of this. And uh, I know we could probably go on and on and on, but you got to go back to your uh, chair, uh, your various houses and kids and whatnot. So dudes, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your feedback and the opportunity to have a little bit of a robust conversation. I loved it. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Our thanks again to our guests for being on the show today. Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman was brought to you by our sponsors. 
If you like what you heard today, please do us a big favor and give it a five-star review and like it and share it with friends. And if you want to hear more awesome guests, make sure to check out past episodes. IndieThinker is a nonprofit paid for by our sponsors and the generous gifts of people like you. In order to hear more great guests like you did today, please consider giving a tax-deductible gift by going to IndieThinker.org. And just remember, your voice matters, but infinitely more when you think for yourself. <laughs>